This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, we have a guest. Not just one guest, actually. Two guests yeah. this week. Both are legends. L- legends. <laughs> one is an industry legend and one is a Bloomberg News legend. Bloomberg but- News legend is Carolina Wilson. Carolina, welcome on the show again. Thank you for having me. And, and Carolina, this is your guest, actually. Who do we have? We have Bruce Bond here. He is co-founder of Innovator Capital Management, but you might know him a little better potentially as the co-founder of PowerShares Capital Management back in the day. And let me, let's me let not understate that. He recognized Smart Beta before it was a household name. Uh, so, And Carolina, what was the thing, the little spark that made you say, we should talk to Bruce Bond right now? Sure. So before I covered exchange-traded funds, I covered these Byzantine products known as structured notes, which have a pretty horrible reputation. Uh, it was a really fun beat to cover. It was hated by a lot of people <laughs> with some uh, pretty uh, critical stories on that industry. But what's really interesting here is that these are ETFs that sort of make better and change the structure of a structured note and make it a bit more accessible for investors. So it's sort of the marriage of these two worlds that I used to cover. Um, and let me give you some stats on this. So the that we call them buffer or downside protection ETFs before Bruce is going to go into what they do. But they're a pretty instant hit. Um, and I'm a little shocked by the numbers. We got 1.8 billion. There's another issuer that has some, but that's quite a bit. Especially, I know the market's not up a lot per se, but it's not down either. These to me have their biggest potential when the market goes down because people tend to search for that like after the fact. So the fact that they got this much and they're a little more on the complicated side, which tends to be a tougher sell for ETFs typically. But I could see why they have appeal. They do limit your downside, and that is a very powerful concept. So I'm excited to dive in. This time on Trillions, Downside Protection with Bruce Bond. So Bruce, welcome to Trillions. Thank you for having me. So you're, you're like we've set this up, you're kind of a legend in the ETF uh, industry. Why did you do this? What was the idea? Well, I, you know, I we really didn't intend on coming back, to be in all, all honesty with you. And uh, my partner, John Southard, he bought a life insurance product that had some type of a kind of a defined outcome within the product. And he was like, you know, it's really amazing. This isn't available in an ETF. I mean, the value proposition here is really neat. And uh, it, it's surprising people don't have access to what, this. What do you? What What does that look like? What What is the the benefit of that? The benefit of the defined outcome or the buffer ETFs, as Eric said, you know, uh, is the ability for an investor to purchase an ETF and today to understand their outcome a year in the future. 
depending on what the S&P 500 does. So instead of just going to the mercy of the market, hoping for the very best, hoping it doesn't go down, which is what most people do, you know that you have a buffer toward losses on the downside, but you're going to participate on the upside. And until now, that has not been available in an ETF. So let me stop you right there because when, when someone might hear participate in the upside but limit your downside, they may go, that sounds too good to be true. Um, just go into that a little bit. Why isn't it too good to be true? And how much of the upside do you get? Do you get it all? No. you okay. do. Well, you might get it all. And the thing is, you don't really know. So the buffers, there are three different buffers, right? There's a there's a 9% buffer, protects your first 9% of losses. There's a 15% buffer that protects the first 15%. And then there's a 30% buffer. And that buffers you from negative 5 to negative 35%. So there's three levels, depending on how concerned you are about where the market is and how much capital you want to preserve and that. And so with each level... As Eric was pointing out, each level, it costs a little bit more to have that buffer. And therefore, your cap is adjusted a little bit as you get more buffer. This seems like something that should have happened already. We thought the same thing. I think we were really shocked initially. We said, you know, we should do this. This is a tremendous value to investors. Let's. There must be some reason it can be done. It's like a structural problem, you know, mm-hmm. within an ETF that mm-hmm. it's not a, or it's a regulatory problem. The regulators won't allow it because of this or that. And the more we dug into it, the more we looked at it, we realized, you know what, this is possible. There were some structural things we had to do, some kind of aha moments that we had to overcome that hadn't been done in an ETF before. And that's the reason some people, I think, gave up on the idea right. and never accomplished it. Because effectively, you're sort of putting an insurance policy inside of an ETF and wrapping it up. In a burrito. In a sense. Yeah. Exactly right. Speaking of the burrito, so what is what is in it? So what is in the ETF? There are seven options positions in the ETF. So not I'm not buying equities like I would usually do with an ETF. I'm, right. I'm getting options. Right. And you own options solely. Does this burrito that. have a name? <laughs> well, de- well, you know, defined outcome or, you know, buffer ETF. You need ETF. a better burrito name. Yeah, just, exactly. Just exactly. Well, buffer you know. isn't bad. A buffer yeah. burrito? Bu- buffer yeah. ETF. I mean, I think buffer ETFs. I'll, I mean, I'll go with it. I'd eat that. Bufferito. 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 <laughs> yeah. There yeah, you go. Exactly. That will work. Uh, so basically, uh, there's seven positions in there. And these positions are designed to provide you uh, this outcome over one year period. I think the important thing for uh, people listening to this to understand is that uh, it, it runs for a year, the outcome period, but then it just resets after a year and then you get another uh, year of the same thing. So what doesn't change is the length of the outcome period is a year and also the buffer doesn't change. So if you bought the 9% buffer, you're going to have that for a year and then it's going to reset the next year and you're going to have it again for another year. And that so, year is almost like a contract basically? In a sense. Between... It's just when you buy the options positions, these are what are called flex options. And it's really a very simple option. What it lets you, allows you to do is put a custom option together. And what that means is you can have a specific start day and a specific end date. And so all the options start on one day and end on one day, and then they reset that day and go into a new set of those the following year. And so you just keep doing that year after year, getting as much of the upside as the options industry will give you, but with a 9% buffer, 15 or 30. And this is kind of solving, in a way, you know that problem we talk about with leverage ETFs? They reset every day. and Power tools. Yeah, and th- therefore you don't actually get the, the quarter 
or the month of that leverage, you only get it one day. Yeah, you get uh, a horizon with this a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to come out quarterly. Now, you could buy them in between, but it's ideal to buy them on that date. And essentially, this is a strategy that you could obviously do on your own, right? You're yeah. just packaging something that might be a little more on the institutional side yeah, into well, an ETF. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, like all ETFs, you could buy all those securities on your own if you wanted right. to, right? I mean, it's it's just – actually, this one is much more complicated than some of those because you have to understand, first of all, options, how options work. You also have to understand how to put that position together in order to achieve that outcome for you. So it's more complicated than it would be to put together some type of another ETF package. Um, and and I think the the idea of a one-year outcome period, if you think about most of the ETFs that we buy that supposedly are going to provide some downside buffer, typically – there's a switching strategy, switches in and out, mm-hmm. may not switch at the right time, might switch at the wrong time. And with these, I think the thing that can't be overstated is that an investor, advisor, they can buy today and understand very clearly, Do I think how much do I think the market's going to go up next year? Oh, I think it's going to be up 10%. All right, well, I'm going to get all the upside of the market if I get this. But let's say China doesn't come through and the market crashes. It could go down 10 or 15. Well, I want to have that buffer in there. So I'm going to get all the upside that I think is there. And I'm also going to be buffered against all the potential downside I think is there. Uh, downside. I don't know what you're talking about right now. It doesn't seem like there could be any downside I know, exactly. in, in these markets. Exactly. Can you take us to the one that's maybe around this maturity and take us through the last 12 months and what it did versus what it was set up to do? Set up to do. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And one other thing I want to mention to you. We started out initially offering these quarterly on the calendar quarters, and we kind of decided early on if we did a billion dollars in assets in these within the calendar quarters, when we got to that asset level, we would offer a monthly. So back in June, we started offering these funds on a monthly basis. So you have a 9, 15, and 30% buffer every single month being issued the first of the month. That means you know there will be 36 funds in the market achieving these defined outcomes for investors. The reason that's really important is that an investor can know, as Eric said, you know, people like to buy in early or they want to be at the beginning. I mean, that's part of how these start. And the reason they like that is they want to know, okay, I if I get in, I have a buffer starting at zero, it goes down right away, and I have all the upside right there. And they don't want to have to think about buying in the middle and that. Mm-hmm. They just want to participate. So we have them every single month now. And Having them every month, at the beginning of every month, makes them a very powerful tool for advisors for a lot of different reasons. Now, let's talk about the portfolio, right? So is this aiming to replace uh, the equity portion of your portfolio, like the whole thing, or to be like an overlay? I'm seeing people think about it all different ways. You could do it just as an overlay over your whole portfolio and say, you know, I want additional exposure to the S&P 500 or to the market in general, so I'm going to buy this, but I have a buffer built in. But we're also seeing uh, advisors, some, taking their entire piece of their equity exposure and just say, I'm buying this with my for my equity exposure. I'm not going to – we're at a 10-year bull market. we got to be getting somewhere near the top. I'm going to buffer my clients against the loss that's going to happen here over the next few years. I don't want to. I don't want them exposed to that, and uh, so we're seeing a good bit of that as well. The other thing we're seeing a lot of is kind of saying, "I I don't want to expose my clients to fixed income right here. Rates are super low. I'm not getting paid to hold them. Rates move around. I'm taking a huge amount of risk. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take some of that fixed income out. I'm going to move it over into the equity market." 
get a good buffer there, get the upside of the equity market, and not risk myself in the debt market right now. Of all the moments in time that you could bring a product like this to market, it seems like it would be a pretty great one. So what have, what have the inflows been like? Because you guys launched when? Yeah, we launched last August, basically. Yep. So about a year ago. Yep. We launched the July series in August because we were trying to get it you know, to July. So we've had one full year in that product. And then in October, we'll have our next full year in that product. The July one did exactly what it was supposed to do. But to give you an example, we started out, no one knew what they were, how they worked or anything. And so, you know, we brought them out and we probably in the first couple of weeks did maybe 10 million bucks in the three across the three. Ended the year, we had maybe $150 million in those three. And then now we're probably in the defined outcome alone, probably around the $1.3, $1.4 billion mark. It's a pretty successful year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Listen, you know, uh, there's a lot of ETF providers uh, that are struggling out there to get visibility, to get assets. We're not in any of the big distribution uh, systems right now. So we are doing this uh, hand-to-hand, going through the RIA channel, explaining it to them, how they work, what they are, and they're being embraced by that channel. So like any uh, new sensation, once you hit a billion dollars, people start to look at, look. Uh, uh, maybe I'll get into that. And yeah. you do have somebody filing. First Trust has put in filings to track a CBOE index that does something very similar. Theirs look like it's 10% buffer series. Yours are nine. I Just real quick, try to suss out how theirs will be different or the same as yours. Yeah. Well, you know, they've had their filings in for a while. I mean, it took us a long time to get our filings approved by the SEC. So they they basically have duplicated our products and just made them slightly different levels is what they've done. So we came out with a 9% buffer, the 15 buffer, and the 30 buffer. They did a 10 buffer and a 25 buffer. So those are the two that they have versus the three that we have. There's another competitor, too. They're not an ac- actually an ETF structure. They use ETFs. It's Alaya Capital. They're called M-plus funds. So they're a unit investment trust. They're UIT that uses options on ETFs in the underlying. Um, so a different legal structure, but the, the founders there, the guys running these funds, are these old-school structured note guys. They ran the structured note desk at BAML uh, for a while. So I, I do see some similarities there. They like to say they offer customization, so you can sort of customize what that payout structure is going to look like for your note, but another player out there in the space. Yeah. So how big do you think that this overall slice of the ETF kingdom might become? And I'm asking you this because you're somebody who was there in the beginning of Smart Beta, right? And that's mm-hmm. become a huge, yeah. uh, you know, 20% plus of the overall ETF. One trillion. Of the overall yeah. ETF market. This seems like something that a lot of people could say, we can do this. Yeah. Well, you know, this one is harder to do than those. I mean, everybody, the, the thing about this is, remember, we had the S&P 500, we got different buffer levels. With those, everybody can come out with their own slice of, well, this is how I do it, and this is how I, you know, it's kind of like active management almost. This one, uh, but I would say that I think the size of the market is tremendous. If you think about a lot of the insurance products, people that invest in structured outcomes in insurance, you know, is multiple, multiples of billions. Structured product market is, you know, multiples of billions. You know, there's probably a tr- one or two trillion dollars within that those marketplaces. So um, 
We think there's a tremendous opportunity in this space, and primarily because um, people don't have reliable downside protection. You know, they they have so-called downside protections, but there's always things that can go wrong rather than saying, I know I have this buffer. This is the buffer I have. I'm good with that. I'm totally willing to give up some of my upside. You know, if you think 75% of the investable assets today from individuals are in the baby boomers' hands, basically, and they're right at retirement. They don't want to make their money with twice. the frothy market, maybe. Yeah, right, with you know? a, yeah. yeah, and they're like, they're they're like, do I really want to lose my money? Right. Do I really want to take all this risk on? And and so if they can buy something like this and say, I still have access to the upside, but I'm buffered against losses. Um, you know, that's a tremendous uh, value proposition for them. But insurance isn't free. How much does this cost? Insurance it's seventy nine basis points, and that's all in. It's a unitary fee, like most ETFs have today. And so that's all anyone's going to pay. And that is, if if you go out and try to replicate this on your own, it's going to be more expensive than that. If you go out and try to buy a structured product, an annuity, anything like that, it's going to be much more expensive, regardless of what the documentation says. Um, you know, sometimes I know within the annuity products, they say they're free and this and that. But I mean, if you try to get out in a year, you know, there's 11% re, uh redemption fee. So I think you have to just be careful and 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 look at for what it, the beauty of these products is you can get out anytime. You can buy them anytime. You're not held, you know, there's even a structured product, you know, they're kind of tie you up. That doesn't happen here. You have the transparency. You can see exactly what's in the portfolio. There's no counterparty risk. Remember with the other ones, you know, you're relying on the insurance company to be in business or you're relying on the bank that issued the note or a structured note to be in business. You know, like our 30% product, you know, I like to say, if the market crashes, it's down 30%. You don't want to hope those guys are going to stay in business. You want to know you got what you own, and that's the important time. Can we play a quick game? Yes. Can we guess of the 9%, the 15%? I I know exactly what you're doing, and yes, I'm in. And the 30% buffer, which is the most popular? I'm going 30. I'm going 15. 15. 15? 15. Uh, also, uh, yeah. also, full disclosure, I knew the answer. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, but like, break it down. What's the percentages between each three? It's, it's probably 15 and then the nine and then the 30. I was way off. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're good. Listen, the 30, the way to think about that is, and, and uh, I think we thought it was going to be a huge seller at the beginning, too, um, is that. It, and the cost the same? Yeah, the costs are the same. Yep. Is that if you're in the 30, you're, what you're saying is, I'm willing to risk 5%. Right, that first five percent you can lose, but I don't want to risk anything else. And so, that's somebody who thinks the market is really going to completely yeah. crash, and they're willing to take the risk on the five. The other ones they start at zero, and so I think that may be why fifteen has been a little more popular. Has that changed through the year, though? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it depends on where the f- funds are trading. Mm-hmm. The ETFs are trading in the market because we see a lot of people like right now, uh, I haven't seen the numbers for today, but like the October series is very like over the last few weeks has been very successful. It's taking a lot of assets right now because it, right around its starting point, it's starting asset or uh, dollar price. Mm-hmm. And so you can get in today. You can have the same buffer and the same cap that you did day one, but you only got a month and a half left. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, wow, I got a, a 10% cap and I got a 15% buffer. I like that, you know, for a month and a half. So we're seeing a lot of people participate in the middle, which we didn't know if would happen, but we've seen a lot of assets flow in in the middle. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. 
people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I was recently at an event, and uh, th these came up, or the downside of the buffer ETFs came up. One of the analysts that I was on a panel with said something to the effect, I haven't looked into this yet, that, well, you're only getting the price, and it doesn't have the dividend there, so that's kind of like a cost that you're not seeing. Can you address that? Yeah, well, you get the price return of the S&P 500 with these. You don't get the return of the S&P 500 with the dividend. Some people look at the dividend as a buffer, in a sense. And I think that's why we've priced ours at a nine percent, and you know we don't have it lower than that. If you think about it, if you if you think about it that way as a two or three percent, then if you look at nine percent and fifteen percent, it's pretty well spaced out. Most people uh, look at the two percent and they'll make that, but that's not enough for them. They want more buffer than that, and so. You know, the dividend isn't included. So if you think that the market's going to be down 2% or less, you probably go ahead and stick with it. If you want more buffer than that, then you need to buy these. You mentioned S&P 500. Uh, what all do you think you could do this for, put this wrapper around? That's a good question. Currently, we have the S&P 500. We have the MSCI EFA and the MSCI Emerging Markets. We just started that, and we're going to have those quarterly. And why did you pick those? Really what we're doing is working from the, the trading level back because you need to have options that trade enough that allow these uh, products to be established on them. And so you need to have a very liquid market. And so there's only really about five or six markets that allow that. So those two international markets as well as the Qs and as the Russell 2000. And we're going to be introducing the, the uh, NASDAQ 100 and the Russell 2000 here in October. So we'll have five of them. And and Smart. and with the emerging markets and those, we just did the fifteen percent buffer. So we don't we're not doing them every month. We didn't do all three levels. Mm -hmm. It's 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 very expensive to bring a new a product out every month for all of them. Yep. So we're just doing the fifteen percent buffer for each of those until they gain enough assets and enough interest and everyone's educated, and then we'll start to introduce some more when it makes sense. What would you like to do? But looks really complicated. You know, it would be a it would be a hit, but it'll take some work to get there. You know what we really want to figure out a way to do, and we haven't quite got there yet. But uh, to put together a product similar to this that uh, relates to people for like lifetime fixed income, mm -hmm. to be able to incorporate something like that for fixed income for people within this type of structure, using the option structure to be able to do that. Um, so, like options for bonds that. Well, we, we've looked at a lot of different structures on how we could do this, and uh, we haven't arrived on one that we like a lot, but we're, we're looking at all types of different things to, to determine is there a better way to uh, deliver some type of an income product to people uh, as they're nearing retirement now.
kind of the decumulation phase of, you know, everybody's accumulated their assets and they don't have a real efficient way to to spin that down now and so to help them do that and make it last as long as possible. How much do you know about your consumer and their age? Because this is like, if you're right around retirement age, this is like a perfect thing. Like, I, yeah. I'm not getting any yield on my fixed income and I can basically hedge my exposure to equities. Right. This seems great for me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how, how much of this is actually in that baby boom uh, well, I, I would imagine a good bit of it, but um, what we're seeing, uh, like Carolina mentioned, um, advisors are getting a hold of this for their business, and they're saying, holy smokes, I'm putting this across all my clients because it just makes too much sense from a strategic standpoint to be able to have better outcomes. You know, one of the things strate- uh, strategists want when they're investing their assets is they want to have a better understanding of what are their risks and what outcomes will they have. This gives them more control over the potential outcomes comes rather than when well, the market crashes. I'm not sure what will happen. It gives them a little more control. And so strategists, I think, are attracted to these products because of that. Carolina, what could go wrong? What if the market goes down 35 percent? Well, if the market goes down 35 percent, you're going to, well, in the 9 percent, you would lose 35 last nine, you know. So, you know, you, uh, the, the way I, if you think about these products, I think a great way to really think about them is if the market goes down, you're going to outperform the market by the amount of the buffer, depending on how much the market is down, right? So you're going to beat the market if the market's down. If the market's flat, you're going to be with the market. If the market's up slightly, but below the cap, you're going to meet the market. The only time you're going to underperform the market is if the market has a huge boom year and and you get capped out and you don't get all the upside. That And think about how many uh, you know fund or active managers can beat the market. Very, very few on the downside or the upside. And so this gives people, you know, they're going to beat the market in, you know, three out of the four scenarios. It's it's a pretty good opportunity to be able to, you know, participate in something like this. Would you ever add leverage to the upside? I'm thinking back on the traditional structured note structures where, you know, you get two times the underlying up to a cap and then some buffer on the downside. Any interest from clients that you've heard to add some juice to that upside return? People like juice. But, uh, you know, the the SEC has a moratorium on leveraged uh, ETFs. And so right now, um, you know, that's not possible. But, you know, we, we're hoping in time that something like that will be possible. Eric, have you co- have you guys covered this at all? Yeah. So um, my colleague, James Seifert, has uh, kind of a it's one of his focus ideas. Uh, every one of every analyst in Bloomberg Intelligence has to have a focus idea. Mine is that there'll be more more closures than launches in the next 12 months. It's kind of a call, if you will. Okay. Not something will go up and down, but just a call in our industry. Yeah. His is that these will were bullish. We think that if they can get you know over a billion in this kind of market, if the market goes down, they should really do well because people are going to definitely want downside protection there. So we find that the fact that they can pull this off – so he has a great note. Go to BIETF. You can read the whole thing. So, yeah, we've covered it, and that note is maybe three mini notes for a total of like, say, 12 bits. I'm wondering about the economics of this on your side because this is not like a typical ETF. You're You're dealing with options – Obviously, it's coming through with basis points to the consumer. But what does it look like on your side um, from a from a cost perspective? 
Yeah, well, from a cost perspective, uh, we are working with Milliman uh, Financial uh, Asset Management. I don't know if you're familiar with them out of Chicago. They have offices around the world, but they're the sub-advisor for the products. And um, they're one of the, the larger insurance overlay contractors in the world. And so they sub-advise. In fact, they recently did the Transamerica ETF, work with Transamerica on that, uh, and a billion dollars I think they seeded that with. So – Milliman is our sub-advisor, do a very good job and know exactly what they're doing. So we have to pay them and we have everyone else to pay. The reason this one is difficult to do and expensive to do is that we have to have 36 funds, which would normally take three funds to accomplish the same thing. And by having to have a new fund every month in order to bring the best value possible, there's a big expense in doing that. And that's the reason it's necessary for us to have a little higher expense ratio. Although that fee is pretty much in line with some fancier smart beta products, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's up there, but this is a institutional kind. I mean, this, they're doing a lot of legwork, and it was first. Usually things get priced down as there are more and more products. So I would, given all you'd have to do on your own, I mean, that it just you can just you, – you heard Bruce describe all this. It sounds like kind of a pain, yeah, <laughs> to be honest, whereas yeah. smart beta, a lot of times it's, it's, their, it's, their, it's their formula, and that's their intellectual property, but – Honestly, it's just holding stocks. It's not as difficult as something like this. So, I and obviously the flows show people aren't that worried about it. Out, these are specialty products like leverage ETFs. They're charged ninety five. Nobody cares. Um, so, and that's good for you because it is hard to carve out a living in the ETF world anymore. Everything's been priced down pretty low. So, from a business standpoint, it's pretty uh, remarkable feat what you're what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is you know a lot of people like there was a couple launches for zero and negative fee that didn't get any assets yeah so i think you have to innovate and that's your one way around the vanguard effect yeah you know and and i think the thing that uh, you don't want to lose on this is to get this type of buffer this type of protection in the market if they wanted to go buy this somewhere else it's going to be much more expensive so it is very economical for any other way that they could buy this type of protection in the marketplace. Okay, so you've seen a lot from where you started um, in power shares, uh-huh. rise of smart beta. Now you got this new whole idea. What do you? How do you feel about the ETF industry as a whole? Where's it going? Where Where else could it innovate? Well, I mean, I think that. Uh, you know, when when we were at PowerShares, we did the first thematic fund. We did the first active fund. What was the wait? What was the first thematic? I think it was water. Oh, a PHO. Yeah, yeah. His first thematic fund. Yeah, check it yeah, out. It's like ten years old. Oh, yeah, look at yeah. that, man. Yeah. So you know, we did. We were a lot of first, and we innovated a lot. We had the first ETF of ETFs. You know, so we we pushed the envelope in a lot of things, and. Um, we think in this area where we're at, where um, you can use uh, other types of products to deliver outcomes that people haven't really considered within the ETF structure, that there's growth potential there. We think that the equity market and, you know, pretty much the fixed income market has been sliced pretty thin, you know, and there there aren't a lot of other rocks to be turned over to you, – you might have people discover this new thing that comes up and another hack or another – you know, cannabis or, you know, whatever, something like that. But I think generally to establish a, a a process of investing, something that brings true value across a portfolio, not just a one-hit wonder type of thing, you know, y- you have to look at areas where there are true growth potentials and they contribute to people, you know, across their portfolio. And 
we think this area that we're in now that you know there are there are legs there and there are other opportunities going forward. It, um, sorry, I have to say, PHO came out in two thousand five. I think that probably makes it the first theme ETF. You're right. It's yeah, got a billion it, dollars. Yeah, it's more it, than it, I thought. You know what? I think we did. The, we did. The, I think the ticker should have been used for the Vietnam ETF, but that's another story. Yeah. What about uh, clean it. energy? Might have been before that. <laughs> clean energy. I would call ESG. I would call water. No, I mean, there's ESG didn't even exist back then. I know. I mean, yeah. come on. You were firing on all cylinders. I think he's trying you to were... say he invented ESG. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> we passed on ESG and we the internet. Like, I mean, well, oh yeah, throwing the internet. Yeah. So exactly. Uh, you know the ETF better than anybody. While we're on the topic, the SEC is wrestling internally over whether to approve a Bitcoin ETF. My take is the ETF structure can handle almost anything. You could put Mickey, Mar- Mickey Mantle rookie cards in it, and it would probably be the best possible deal given the arbitrage that the market makers can do. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on that? Do you think that if Bitcoin would be fine in ETF, it would all work out? Not, not to say it would stop the volatility, but it would track it pretty well. I think probably. You know, I, uh, I would have, I mean, I'm not really up on all the cryptocurrencies, but I think it probably would. And and uh, because it prices and you can see the prices, as long as the prices are reliable, you should be able to get it. You know, interesting thing along those lines, Eric, is uh, back when we had the financial crisis and remember Fannie Mae and all those guys were holding all those mortgages, I tried to get them to take those trillion dollars in mortgages or whatever they were and just put them in an ETF and let the ETF trade and let the market determine the value of the pool. And then that would have equitized all that, right? But, you know, obviously they didn't listen to me there. So. Wow. What a story. Yeah. I think we buried the lead. Do you have, that email? <laughs> yeah. Do you have that email chain that we could see? I'd love to I don't see think I that. He edits a little yeah. magazine. Yeah. He yeah. can, yeah. like, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I tried to do that. Over. That'd be great. <laughs> I went to D.C. and tried to, you know, tell him, guys, you know, you want to get this, get rid of this as a way to do it. Actually, to and, that, and have, you, have you gone and back-tested <clears throat> your product and you know, shown what it would have been like during the financial yeah, crisis. Yeah, we have, and we we provide that to advisors all the time. One thing that's really interesting about this product, if 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 you think about it, all products that we typically buy or that I've ever sold or been a part of, I've looked at historically, and I've said, okay, what has what did that do in the past? Well, we kind of know what the SPs right. the has done, right? Right. So this is one product where you actually think forward, right. You think about, okay, what do I think the market will do next year? And then you buy the one that you think is going to give you the outcome that you want for that following year. And so this is much more of a forward-looking product than any product I've actually been involved with in the past. One thing I would think of if if you came and pitched me, I might say, well, this is why I use treasuries. You know, I have have an allocation to treasuries and cash that buffers my equity position. Mm -hmm. How do you sell against that? Or is is that somebody you just probably wouldn't buy it? Well, no, they might buy it, but I would say, okay, so that uh, debt exposure reduces your upside potential, right? Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. The market goes up. You got half your money in there. You got half the upside, right? Potentially, depending yeah. on what, right? And so you buy this. Well, you got all the upside, but you saw the buffer in there. You know what I mean? So it it it. Uh, you know, that's a drag. That's like if you think about a, a, a mutual fund manager, right? They hold too much cash. They have cash drag, right? So that's drag on people's portfolios. Here, you don't own that. You put it in equities. You get the upside of the market. And you can – I think the important thing to remember on the cap is if you get uh, – if you run up and you think you're getting slow, close to the cap, you can roll to the new fund in the next month, get a new cap, and lock in your gain. You can get the step up. So it gives you that flexibility to be able to adjust your position as you go, which I think is – is really a phenomenal feature. He's pretty good. He's uh, you're very smooth. <laughs> you know, very, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. much of your day is spent explaining these? 
to people or how well, much of your week? What percentage of your week are you yeah, sort I of? I don't know. A good bit. And, and uh, <laughs> I mean, this is my job. We're pretty passionate about it because it's really a neat product. And uh, it, it, you know, it has its drawbacks. I mean, it can get capped out. I mean, and you have those things. But even with the cap, I mean, I do say, remember, you're not locked in there. You could roll to the new one. If you start to get a cap, roll into the new one. I mean, they, I, I would tell you, I mean, for John and I to come back into the industry, after selling power shares, there was, we didn't need to come back and try in an industry that is super crowded, super difficult. You know, the bologna's been sliced pretty thin. You know, what's left for anyone? Bologna come, with insurance. With, yeah, yeah, bologna with insurance. You know, we had to come back for something meaningful. It's almost like this isn't bologna. This is like another meat. That's the yeah, idea. Exactly. You have to think out yeah, of the box. Provolone, you know, cheese. Yeah, bologna being equity, <laughs> yeah. I, you can't slice it any it's thinner. A yeah. yeah. One question I have. You... So you got the month option, you got the the year option. Could you go out farther than that? I think, yeah. I mean, now I, I, we can go longer, right? Where you could have a three year, and you know, those are some of the things we've evaluated. And uh, the reason we kept it at a year, and we did the three, and we're just sticking with that for now, is we want to stay with the most simple, straightforward structure so that people can really get their minds around it. And I think that in time, you know, as people become very comfortable, we'll probably add some other bells and whistles that we think add value, like maybe a longer date or, you know, other other things that we've looked at. Carolina, thanks for joining us as always. Thank you. Bruce Bond, thanks for joining us on Trillions. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can follow Innovator ETFs at Innovator ETFs. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.